0: a new series this week called Spiritual Leadership, Spiritual Leadership. We are going to look at the book of Titus. We're going to dig into a book you may not have studied before. I don't know. Maybe you have. But uh, the book of Titus is kind of a short book in the New Testament. It's written to the guy that has his uh, name on the book. It's written to a young man named Titus. And it's all about leadership in the church and in the community. And you say, Pastor John, I'm not a leader. (laughs) Like, What am I going to get out of this? Listen, uh, here's my conviction. I learned 100 years ago from a guy named John Maxwell, who was a pastor and a, a leadership guru in this country. I started studying his stuff. One of my, the first pastor I worked for, gave me one of his books. And uh, he had this definition of leadership that's really influenced me. And I'll tell you, as I've gone through my life and I've read countless books, I've gone to countless seminars and conferences and all this stuff on leadership, that leadership really comes down to a simple definition. And if you'll agree with me, this is a good definition, then I'm going to show you that this series will apply to all of us. The definition of leadership that he presented is that leadership is influence. It's influence. That's what leadership is. So being a leader means that you are an influence on someone else. Okay, so if that's a correct definition, and it is, all right, and like Paul said, those of you who disagree, God will confirm, you know, he'll convince you at some point that I'm right. But, but here's the deal. Uh, it's influence. And so if it is influence, then the truth is that all of you, all of us, are an influence on someone. There's someone who is watching your life. They're watching what you do and how you do it. And, and they're going to make decisions about what they're going to do based on what they see you do. Now, that can be a little scary. If you didn't know that somebody was watching you, I'm sorry to break the news to you, but I guarantee you somebody is. I I promise you, if you think about your own life and the decisions you've made, there are times that you were watching somebody and they might not have even known that you were watching them. But because of something they did, because of the way they did it, you were influenced by them and you made a decision about your life because of what you saw them do. Well, the same thing's true of you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what grade you're in, I don't care uh, what position you're in in life, I don't care what your role is in the community or in uh, the place you work, the truth is that there is someone watching you and you are called by God to be an influence in the world. You know, Jesus told um, when he preached uh, to the multitudes that came and listened to him, he said, listen, you guys are supposed to be the people of God. He was talking to the Jewish nation, all right, but I'm talking to the church today people that claim to be Christians, that are followers of Jesus. The truth is that if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus said that we are supposed to be salt and light in the world. Salt and light. We're supposed to bring seasoning and flavor to the world, and we're supposed to bring light to illuminate the darkness. And I don't know about you, but I can certainly recognize we live in a time where spiritual leadership is desperately needed. Our world needs people living in it who are following God and are living for God and who can help other people see how to navigate a world full of pitfalls, full of um, uh, uh, pulls and directions that are just wrong. They're going to harm them. And so the call on you to be a spiritual leader is very important and so i want to urge you that you really have been called by god and designed by him to be a leader remember leadership is influence and i promise you you're influencing somebody and the second piece of it is don't underestimate that influence don't underestimate the influence you have your influence may be over a younger sibling it might be influence over some friends Or influence within a group of friends or maybe co-workers. Your influence might be over your spouse, your children. You may have a position of leadership in a maybe you run a business, or maybe you're a leader in the field of education or in the medical field. I don't know. All I know is that you all are placed in a position where you're gonna influence other people. And if you're influencing a lot of people then obviously it's very important, and it's more important that you grow as a leader and that you are growing as a spiritual leader so you can be an influence for good in our world and an influence for God. I know some of you are pushing back on me still, even though I presented a great case that you're all, this, this series is going to apply to you. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to do that. There's like a, the girl that was filling out a college um, um, application, right? She wanted to get into a school, and she was really really wanted to get into school. She's going down the list, answering the questions, and she's doing a really good job. She's feeling good about it. And then all of a sudden she gets to a question and her heart kind of drops. Uh, she just has a sinking feeling inside because the question is, are you a leader? And because she was a conscientious kid and honest, she had to say, no, I'm not a leader. Well, she sent in the application and she was kind of bummed. She didn't really expect to hear back from them, But in a couple weeks, she got a return letter. And uh, the response on the letter said, listen, um, we've evaluated all the applications we got for next year's uh, semester, and so um, we realized in reviewing the applications that we have 1,452 leaders, and we thought it'd be important to at least have one follower, and so we're inviting you to join our... yeah." Hey, listen, uh, we live in a world that says you need to be a leader. We've raised a generation to say, be a leader, be a leader. And listen, it is important that we can live independently, that we can set the pace, you know, and so we want young people to grow up, to be leaders. But, you know, uh, um, maybe a a secret that's not always talked about enough is that if you're really going to be an effective leader, if you're really going to be good leadership, if you're going to be a good leader, you know what's required first? It's that you learn how to be a good follower. <laughs> There's a lot of people that have aspirations to be leaders. And uh, I had a leader one time talking to a group of leaders who said, you know, if you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're just out on a hike, right? <laughs> You know, <laughs> The truth is that to have the ability to lead people does require uh, some skill, and it requires growing in our character and who we are. And I find that without being a good follower, someone might have the ambition and they might have the confidence and they might think they got the ability to lead, but they're really not going to be very good at it. And so it's really important that we take the words of Jesus seriously. When Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross or you need to uh, deny yourself, right? Put aside your own agenda, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And in doing so, Jesus is saying, listen, by following me, I'm going to teach you how to live, and your life is going to be transformed to the point that you can really represent me in the world. Maturity and leadership comes from submitting to another person's leadership, and to living under and being trained and, and uh, corrected even and sometimes confronted about things. We need those kind of influences in our life. And so uh, my prayer as we look at this series on leadership is that we, uh, we kind of raise the temperature in our church and hopefully in our community on leadership in general and the importance of it and that we need to, uh, we need to place ourselves in a position where we're under someone's leadership. We want to put ourselves under good, healthy leadership, but we need that because we all need some direction in life. You know, last fall when we had our fall campaign, every year we have a fall campaign, and so that becomes our theme for the year, and last fall our series, our campaign was called Be the Church, and we had a focus in on kind of a vision for our church of who we need to be and the direction we need to go, and our little, our little vision statement was that we want to be a church that's healthy that's unified, and who's firing on all cylinders. And so we recognize that we're not there, right? But that's the direction we want to go. And so that gives us a, a, a focus, and it makes us pay attention to, are we getting healthy? You know, are we, are we getting more unified? And are we firing on all cylinders? And we went through the six cylinders that the church um, is supposed to accomplish and be about. And so uh, I recognize. That if that mission, if that vision is going to come true, it all starts with leadership. It all starts with leadership. A saying around this church for many, many years has been, uh, as the leaders go, so goes the church. And so if the church is going to be healthy, the leaders need to be healthy. If the church is going to be unified, the leaders have to be unified. And then if we're going to be accomplishing this work together, this mission God's called us to, then we need to be, um, we need all to be taking steps to grow in accomplishing and and focusing on the mission God's called us to. And so this series, we're going to focus on leadership. Again, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Titus chapter one, that's where we're going to start. But this book is written to a young man named Titus. He was an apprentice of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as we'll talk about a little bit today, was just a powerhouse uh, of faith and of leadership. And he, uh, single-handedly, in a lot of ways, advanced the mission of God in the world. Uh, he, he moved it forward with such a powerful force. And yet the truth is that he is giving some leadership responsibility to this young man named Titus. And uh, when he starts off this book the, book, the first thing that he focuses on is that healthy church leadership has, has um, God's authority. Healthy church leadership has God's authority. And so we want to look at the the first uh, few verses of this chapter, Titus chapter 1. Follow along as I read the first four verses. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, and uh, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. The Apostle Paul starts this letter, an introduction, and in it he shares both the importance of the calling and the job that he's given to Titus, but also the authority by which it comes. The setting, time frame for this book is probably in 63 or 64 AD, so about 34 years after Jesus, um, left the earth, and so um, it's it's written again by Paul, as probably right after his first imprisonment, he was imprisoned in Rome, spent time under house arrest, right, and so uh, when he was released from that, it looks like he grabbed Titus, who was probably there in Rome with him, and they traveled to this island, the islands called Crete, It's kind of out in the Mediterranean Sea, um, south and uh, west of Italy or of Rome. And so they travel down there and they spend some time on this island. And the Apostle Paul and Titus go around to different towns. They preach the gospel. They're preaching the gospel message, which is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He came, God in the flesh. He walked on this earth among us. We got to see him. We got to uh, experience him. He performed miracles. He healed people. Um, he made the blind see, he made the, the deaf could hear, he made the lame walk. And ultimately, he forgave the sins of the people. And then Jesus, the God-man, went to the cross. And he was um, crucified there. And he died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. And the, the stone was rolled over the tomb. He was verified dead. And three days later, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to some of the women who followed him. And then he appeared to 500 people, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, at the same time, they all saw him verifying that he really did come back from the dead. And this proved that his claim to be God was true. And it's by faith in him, Paul would preach, In him alone, that you can have the forgiveness of your sins. And he would call people to put their trust in Jesus. And Paul says, it's through that gospel message that I preached that people put their faith in Jesus. Now, Paul said it was to those whom God had already chosen. There's this doctrine of predestination that God chooses those um, who are going to trust him. But the truth is that Paul preached to everyone. And so as he preached, that was the work that he did, people that responded, that was up to God. And so he gave God the credit for it. And then he says, I taught them the truth of God's word and how God wants us to live. So with the gospel comes a message of forgiveness of sins. And what follows that is a movement towards Jesus. I've got to begin to follow him. And so I begin to learn. Paul would teach the Cretans, right, on the island of Crete. He would teach them that God has called you to live differently. You belong to him now, so you need to move away from these behaviors, which are sin, right? No more sexual immorality, no more drunkenness, right? Watch how you talk. You're going to treat people differently. You're going to love people. Instead of being selfishly motivated, you're going to care about others. You're going to give to them. You're going to serve them. All this stuff Paul would teach him, and he said, all of this led to godly living, So all of a sudden they're called to be a Christian and to follow Jesus and put their trust in him. And then Paul would teach them how to see their lives change and they would begin to live differently. And he said that transformation that they experienced resulted in their confidence that they were saved and they were going to spend eternity in heaven with God. And so he says, this is how I went about it and I had the authority of God to preach this message. Paul was this powerhouse of leadership, as I said. He had laser focus on one thing. He lived to advance this gospel message. He lived to promote Jesus and to teach others about what Jesus had done and who he was. Now, Paul wasn't always that guy, right? You probably know, because you probably know about his story, that when he started off, and after Jesus, uh, well, while Jesus walked the earth, and then after Jesus went back to heaven, Paul was against what was called the way. This was the movement of Jesus. He was against it. He thought it was of the devil. So he was working to stop it. (laughs) He would go around and get permission from the high priest who was the Jewish leader to arrest Christians, throw them in jail. He was there when Stephen was stoned, who was the first martyr. Like he was there. He was a part of trying to stop the church. But something amazing happened with him when he was on the road to Damascus to do some more work. Jesus had an encounter with him, and he <laughs> he appeared to him. He struck him blind. He knocked him off his horse, and he had a little conversation with him. He said, Paul, you're going the wrong direction. It's funny. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor, he tells a story about Paul that I think is kind of funny. He goes, you know, Jesus, after he went back to heaven, one day he was looking down on earth, and he was kind of looking at his followers and what was going on, and God the Father walked up and stood next to him, and he said... <clears throat> how are things going? Uh, Jesus, Jesus, well, you know, okay, I guess. And he goes, well, I've been watching your boys down there, you know, now, didn't you tell them they were supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Jesus like, yeah, I told them that, but they're not doing it. They're just kind of all huddling up in Jerusalem there, you know? And, uh, God, the father says, well, have you seen this guy, Paul? (laughs) Now he's working against you, but if you could get him on your team, I think he might be able to get a lot done to get the gospel spread around the world. The truth is that Jesus did get Paul's attention, and he got him to see the truth. And because of Paul's zealous heart, his desire to see God's work get done, he began to um, work to see the gospel advanced. Paul, in his letter here to Titus, um, as he lays out the mission or... um, he lays out who he is and the authority by which he comes. And he identifies Titus. He calls him his son uh, in the ministry. And so there's an affectionate relationship where we know that, that Paul reached Titus. He led him to the Lord. And Titus was a Gentile young man. He didn't grow up under the law. He didn't grow up living for God. And so Paul probably had some work to do to, to disciple him and teach him how to live a godly life. But Titus, being the young man he was, he just took to it. And he, he, he responded quickly and he grew and he, he loved God, and he wanted to learn more about God. And so you can just see this young man who just grows and has leadership in him. And Paul says, man, I'm going to be able to use this guy. He's going to be a leader in the church. And so as he has this really important mission for Titus to do, he prays a blessing over him. And he prays two things that I think are really important. One is he prays that God the Father... And Jesus Christ would fill him with grace. Grace, as we know in the Bible, is getting something we don't deserve. And so grace is, we call it unmerited favor, or, or, or um, getting something from God that we didn't earn and couldn't earn. And so in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says, you have been saved by grace through faith, right? That's the way that we're saved. That's how salvation comes to us. Grace... It's how it comes to us. It's undeserved. We can't do anything to earn it or get it. And so um, it's by grace. Now, the other meaning of grace in the Bible has to do with God's presence and power. And I think that's what Paul is praying over Titus here and blessing him with. He's saying, may you have be filled with grace. And that is God's presence and power to lead, to do the job that I have for you to do. And then he prays peace over him. And peace, I think, is something that we can kind of overlook, the importance of it. You know, uh, many of us in our culture and in our world today live with some anxiety, some depression, some emotional issues that really affect how we are able to live. It's kind of a burden that a lot of us bear. As we go through life, we have a tendency to think about the things that are negative, the things that could become negatives. And so we have a tendency to live focused on things that we're afraid of. Anxiety, depression, all that, it has its root in fear. And so it really is fear that we're dealing with. And so it's an issue for a lot of us. And I'll tell you, for Titus, what Paul knew was that if he was going to be an effective leader in a difficult situation, he was going to need to have the peace of God Reign in his heart. Ephesians tells us that the peace of God guards our heart against doubt, against worry, against preoccupation with things that are not from God. It will steal strength from us to do what God's called us to do. And so peace really is that psychological, emotional, and spiritual comfort that comes through trusting God that he is the one who's empowering you and I to do the work that he's called us to do. That he's the one that's empowering us. And so grace and peace are super important for Titus as he um, embarks on the mission that Paul and, and really God is calling him to. You know, leadership in the church is marked by certain characteristics or a certain type of character. And so as Paul is going to continue in this letter of instruction, he's going to give Titus a picture of, of the kind of person he should be looking for to be a leader in the church. These are elders in the church. These are the the men who lead the church. And so what what Paul is going to present to Titus is this truth, that healthy church leadership has godly character. Titus chapter 1, let's continue reading. Follow along as I read verses 5 through 9. Paul says this, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. And he must love what is good. He must live wisely and just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. It's a mouthful here. (laughs) It's a lot going on. Paul writes to Titus and he gives him a picture of the kind of men that he should be looking for as he sets out to appoint leaders in the churches on the island of Crete. Probably he and Paul, uh, Titus and Paul, went through and they preached the gospel and they saw people come to Christ in all the towns on the island. And, And then Paul left. He continued on. He had other work to do. But he left Titus to establish leadership. Now, one of the things we recognize is that spiritual leadership brings order to an environment. Leadership is very important for this reason because order is from God. God is a God of order. There's always authority. There's always submission to authority and support for authority. You look in the family, right? It's very clear. God says the husband is the leader. The wife is to support her husband and submit to his authority. Like you see this everywhere. And we certainly see this with God. And so in the church that same model is followed. Leadership provides structure, security. And so it's, it's so important. I've noticed in my life that where there's chaos and confusion and conflict, what I've been able to recognize over the years is the enemy is involved there. <laughs> um, he's the one that brings chaos, confusion, and conflict. And so if there's deception, if there's things that are right, it's the enemy at work. And so the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God brings, again, order. And so we want to be behind supporting that order. And so Paul goes, listen, leadership's so important. And so here's the kind of men that you need to lead the church. They're going to be able to influence the church in the right direction and establish an environment where the Holy Spirit is at work. And so first of all, he goes, they're blameless. Now, this doesn't mean perfect, not looking for perfect leaders. I hope not. Hope you realize they're not out there. <laughs> perfect people, they're not out there. So not we don't get perfect leaders either. So there's some adaptation, there's some grace, there's a little adjustment that we've got to make. But we are looking for leaders that have a good reputation. They, they are living out their faith in the community they live in. Secondly, in regards to marriage. Um, the the Greek here, the 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 Greek itself really has this, it really translates this way, that he is the, he's a one-woman man, all right? And so we have this issue, and I'm not going to answer it today. Uh, can a man be an elder if he's been divorced, right? Um, there's, there's some room for some flexibility on that, and we really need to get into the Scripture and look at it and, and study it. But we do know this, that, that um, God is opposed to divorce. That's why Jesus taught to the Jewish culture by the way, that was getting divorced all over the place, he said, God hates divorce, and you shouldn't do it. And so um, he really pushed hard against that. So we have that teaching. Paul certainly confirmed that. But we also know that this was a culture where polygamy, divorce would have been rampant, both in the Jewish culture and the pagan culture. And so finding people that weren't divorced might have been difficult. But finding someone who is moving forward, right, making a decision to follow Christ, he's going to live out the teachings of Scripture and he's going to be the kind of leader in his home where he's faithful to his wife, where he is loving her as he's commanded to do, and he's setting that example in his home. That's what we're looking for. And so the next piece is his children. His children aren't wild. Now, all children are a little wild sometimes, right? So again, let's be, uh, let's be careful what we're looking for here. We're looking for a man who's able to lead in his home, create an environment that has order, right? Where he has authorities, children, respect him, listen to him. That takes effort, that takes work. Children don't naturally do that. Maybe your children do, but most children don't naturally do that. So there's some work involved there to bring children kind of under authority. But it's done... Out of love. It's not done out of um, the Bible says, you know, fathers don't exasperate your children, so there's not a a driving and a pushing, but there is a healthy environment. That's what that's what Paul says, Titus is who you're looking for. These are the kind of people you want to lead in the church. Next, he says, blameless again. Again, setting a good example. People in the community and people in the church recognize this is a person that's living for God. Next, uh, qualifier, they're not arrogant. In other words, they don't think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Arrogance is found a lot in people that want to be leaders. And so th- that's a big character trait you've got to be careful for and watch out for. Someone that's overambitious or thinks they can do it. Be careful, right? We're not looking for somebody that's arrogant. We're looking for somebody that's humble and that's teachable. Next, not quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered. This has to do with emotional maturity. When I don't have, when I have a quick temper or uh, can't, um, you know, control that part of my life, when I just go off on something, it gets me. Okay, there's a sign there. Probably we need to look into that, what's going on. But really, at its simplest description, that's just emotionally being emotionally immature. I don't have control or a handle on my emotions. We cannot control how we feel about things, but we do have a responsibility about how we respond to things, And so if I'm quick-tempered, it just means I've got to grow up emotionally. We're looking for leaders to be people who can set a tone and have that emotional maturity. They've grown to that level where they're not living according to their emotions, but they're really reacting and responding by what's right, not just by what they feel. Not a heavy drinker, kind of seems um, to go without speaking, but not somebody that's overindulging, getting drunk or is a drunk That's not a person who's under control and has um, uh, their lives pointed at Jesus and following him. Not violent, so not aggressive, not given to fighting, or again, an overuse of frustration and anger to deal with situations. Not dishonest with money. They're fair, they don't cheat, they pay their debts, they handle things appropriately. How about hospitable? Well, they're willing to have people into their home and they're willing to serve others an important piece. If you're going to have a church that's inviting, new people can come in. you got to have leaders that are hospitable. Love what is good. Have an enthusiastic desire to do what is right. There's a lot of people that find their way uh, in and, and live this way in the church, but find their way into leadership that are really looking to minimize or downplay or find kind of that lowest bar, right? Well, do I really have to do that? Is that really what I need to do. Is that really that important? You know, that I live that way. And Paul says, you're looking for leaders that love what's good. They're driven towards what is best. They're looking for what does God want me to do? What's the best that God wants me to do? And they're pursuing that. How about they live wisely and act justly. So in relationship to how they handle other people, they have some wisdom in their interactions. And they're not just looking to come out on the plus side of every deal and every interaction they're not just making sure they are the ones that benefit but to live justly means that they're really looking out for what's right as they deal with other people and then to be devout and disciplined again serious person who's following Jesus 100% all in living for him their life shows that measure of control and it's ordered they have discipline as they follow Jesus and then lastly that they have a solid handle on the gospel message they know the truth The last piece uh, and the last portion of this passage kind of focuses in on this truth that healthy church leadership leads towards the truth. There were conflicting messages in uh, in this time period, in the 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, before uh, not even 100 years passed after Jesus had lived on the earth. There were already people preaching heresies and leading people astray. And so Paul really indicates that healthy church leadership is important because they have to be able to combat this. And so um, Titus 1 in verse 10, let's read 10 through 16 to get the last bit of this passage that we're looking at today. He goes on to say, For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money, even one of their own men, uh, one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, said this about them: The people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals and lazy gluttons it's true, he says, so reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving, because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. <laughs> Paul kind of doesn't always have filters when he's talking, he lays it out the way it is. Uh, he's pretty direct here, pretty harsh in a way, but truthful. Like, Titus, you got a rough group of people to lead here, all right? They've got some harsh behaviors. They're going to be tough to deal with, and so you're going to have to, you know, buckle up, put your spurs on, like get ready for this because it's not going to be easy. But you have to go in to a tough situation, and you're going to have to confront people. You're going to have to deal with tough issues where people are resistant. They don't want to follow. This is the kind of people on the island of Crete. It's all right, Titus. God's with you. I prayed for grace and peace so you would trust God as you went and embarked on this difficult journey. But the importance of church leadership is there in correcting when people get off base. Sometimes correction is hard. Sometimes it's easy. Just depends on the person, how we're wired. We kind of get the leadership we require we can be easy to correct or we can be hard to correct. The point is, Paul says, you got a tough job here, Titus, but I'm empowering you and I'm, I'm praying for you and you have the ability to do it. You need to choose men to lead the church that can handle this. Um, it's absolutely essential in our world that we have church leaders who can identify false teaching, who can identify when someone is encouraging others to go off base and to leave what the scriptures say. Paul talks about that group that um, believes that circumcision is required for salvation. Who's he talking about there? Well, it's a group called the Judaizers. They were a sect of Judaism. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they also believed that you needed to follow the law if you were going to be saved. And so they taught all kinds of things. They would follow Paul as he went around and preached the gospel and lead people to Jesus. And he, they'd get involved there and convince people and try to convince them that he hadn't taught them the whole truth. They needed to do something extra. And so then they would present their case and people listened to him. And he said, they're selfish in motivation. They're just after it for the money, but they gotta be stopped. And so the leadership in the church need to be able to stand strong for the truth. You know, we have the same issue today in our world. And I think about what are the, what are the encroachments on the church? What are the attacks on the church? Where is it that people are pulling people away from what the Bible teaches? And you probably have some idea if you're on the internet at all. It's certainly a world full of that. But it's not new. It's not new. I was talking to my oldest daughter this week and she was talking about the deconstructionist movement in the church. And maybe you've heard about it, maybe you haven't, but a lot of young people are kind of deconstructing or tearing down, in a sense, the church, trying to get it down to what, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What do you really have to do? The problem is in doing that, which by the way is not a new, a new uh, practice. It goes back a long ways. But in doing that, many are trying to leave the core teachings of Scripture and say, well, we don't really have to, we don't really have to teach that. We don't really have to preach that. It isn't really required that we follow this teaching. Maybe it was cultural or they're finding ways around it or to eliminate it. Now, the church in America has been under that pressure for a long time. We know that there's been churches that quit preaching even the gospel, (laughs) that you need to trust Christ in order to be saved, right? That you're headed to hell if you don't put your trust in him. There's churches that quit preaching that a long time ago. And the cultural pressure to fit in to the world we live in and the changing values of our culture boy, that's been pressure on churches for a long time. And so we've seen that happen. If you have watched the church in America, you know that's happened. But this deconstructionist movement, as I talked to my daughter, she had some friends that have gone that direction. She said, dad, it's really disappointing. It seems like they're walking away from their faith, really. And I said, well, in some ways they are, you know, they're headed to a different faith. And what is that faith? She said, dad, there's kind of a core issue. She said, "Um, you know, it sounds like we're picking on it to talk about it because it really isn't the biggest issue in the world. But she said, it really seems like the homosexual issue is at the core of that. Like everybody that's deconstructing the church or deconstructing their faith, they come down to this core issue that they go, well, we're just not being compassionate enough as Christians. We're not affirming people in what they believe in the lifestyle they want to live. And it seems kind of mean and harsh and cold. And she's like, you know, this is what it seems like. It's kind of behind that. And so, of course, that's not new, and there's lots of other issues. And I'll just tell you, I'll warn you, as a follower of Jesus, we don't get to pick what right and wrong is. There, there's a static nature to our belief, and it, it's what does the Scripture say? That's what God's Word says. And then we got to figure out how do we handle that, and how do we deal with that in a world that increasingly disagrees with us? Well, I'll tell you, the answer isn't to cave on those issues. The reason is, if the church caves, what we find out is down the road a little bit, that ends up causing a lot of problems and hurting people. And we kept standing on the truth so we could help people. We become like the doctor who meets with the patient and says, well, you know, you've got, uh, you've got some blood issues. Um, your blood sugar's high. And, uh, you know, we need to manage that. So you need to watch your diet. and You're going to have to deal with some insulin, you know, and, and instead of doing that, the doctor says, and the, and the patient says, well, really, I really like sugar a lot. I like sugar. I don't want to quit eating. It makes me feel good to eat it. And so what does the doctor say? Well, gee, I hate to be harsh. It seems kind of mean to push on you. So, okay, go ahead and keep eating sugar. Don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. That's malpractice, right? That's not compassion. So as spiritual leaders who represent God in the world, I need you to know it's not compassionate to affirm somebody in the direction they want to go if God says it leads to death. That's not compassion. That's called abuse and hate, right? And so real compassion is to love the world around us, to stay strong and to hold on to what the Bible says, even if we don't understand why, and to love people. Our job is is not to get everybody to quit sinning. That's not our job. Our job is to preach the gospel and to love people and to serve them and to help them walk into a relationship with Jesus, which is then going to lead to their sin and their lifestyle being addressed. We're not the moral police in the world. We don't have to be. We're supposed to live for God and live differently and then love the people around us. But I want to encourage you. (laughs) The authority of God's behind you if you stand on God's word as a spiritual leader in our world and you help people understand when they have questions, hey, this is what God's word says. And because it says it in God's word, that means God says it and I know it's right. I know it's what's best for you. And so we were called to this. If it was easy, anybody could do it. It's not easy, but you're called to it by God. He's the one that's behind you and with you. And so I want to encourage you to stand strong, continue to walk by faith in the world we live in. Grow your leadership ability. You know, we have an event that we're bringing back to this area this year. Um, the pastor at Westway and uh, we're going to go together to host this and to, to really help see it happen. It's going to happen in August. First week of August It's called the Global Leadership Summit. It's a leadership opportunity that's put on by churches. It's church leaders that have put it together. It's a lot of pastors involved, but they'll bring in leaders from the business world and from um, government all over the place. It's a great opportunity to grow your leadership ability. You can, you can invite those that you know and work with, and businesses uh, can, can sponsor it and be a part of it. But I just want to encourage you, because you come to Mitchell Berean, you can get a pretty significant savings on it, but it really is just about growing yourself as a leader. When Mary and I went to the event last year, we were so encouraged um, by what was said there and what was taught there, and we need some encouragement. <laughs> we live in a time that's very difficult And so whatever it is, I just, you can call the church office, get information about it, but whatever it is, I want to encourage you, leadership is influence and you are placed in this world to influence people for God. God, thank you for your calling on our lives. Thank you for the way that you believe in us and you really call us to higher standard of living. You call us to be examples in this world for you to move our lives towards greater and greater obedience to you greater devotion to you. God, I just pray that this list of qualifications, that every man and even every woman in this church would aspire to live at that level as a follower of yours. God, would you continue to move us forward to be the influencers in this world that you want us to be? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.